0: It's like it's both sweet and a punchline because she says, we enjoy being nice to each other. There's not much else to do in this town. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best
1: scripts. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jackson. Welcome back, everybody. We're excited to, we're like in the middle zone of the season at this point and really kind of like rolling along at this point. We got, uh, have had a lot of great conversations, but also have a lot of them kind of lining up in front of us still. And it's a fun, fun moment of the season to be in.
0: Yeah, you know, it really is. And, and this season especially, we have some conversations about scripts that are like really, really popular on the docket. And yeah. so that's always fun to like visit scripts that people a lot and lot and a lot of people know and have seen in some capacity. And we're going to talk about one of those scripts today, which I'm excited about. And we're also going to talk about one of those scripts next week, which I'm excited about. And we're also have several of those scripts coming up in the <laughs> themed month, which is very exciting. It's true. So there's like... Like, a whole sort of swath of plays here where, like, frankly, like, the average listens, I'm guessing, will be pretty high just based (laughs) on the title.
1: Yeah, just based on yeah, based on title, based on knowledge of the shows. Also, many of them having transcended into film. Um, uh, just, just all those sort of elements. It's interesting. Uh, uh, the, yeah, yeah. It's just it's fun to this script in particular this week. Uh, I've I've seen this movie long like long ago, and it's been in my my kind of awareness for a long time. It was cool to read the play version. I haven't I? Don't know if I've actually seen it on stage. But uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get the chance to kind of talk about the production or the script of Steel Magnolia. Is by Robert Hartling.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's it's sort of strange because we have several musicals in our lineup for this season and as a general principle in the world of theater. And I, I also want to say, at a different time, I'll go on a rant about why there are very good reasons for this, but I, dude, it's just generally true that musicals are more popular, more well-known, better attended, etc., than plays are. And so despite the fact that we have several musicals on the list for this season, including one that is, like, a massive, world-shattering success that's on Broadway touring right now, and so that will be very exciting, and, and, and we'll talk about that in just a minute because it's coming up soon. Despite all that... I think that this might be the most listened to episode of the season because (laughs) Steel Magnolias is a world like it is a worldwide phenomenon as a piece of theater, unlike most other, frankly, plays out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I kind of hit that that sweet spot of 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 I don't know, like late 1900s zone where a play really skyrocketed very quickly from stage onto screen. Tons of people saw it and boy, such incredible performances in both the stage and the screen. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. This this play like like grab people's hearts um and as kind of transcended into this like broadly known uh phenomenon um of 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 a play that 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 continues to kind of draw people to it and and drew us to it for this season as well
0: it's sort of like i mean when we get to the context section i'm going to do a fairly extensive one as you'll hear because of the extensive life of steel magnolias and although you would say i think I don't know how many like theater people would disagree with this. That you would say that like death of a Salesman is like a more roundly influential and kind of iconic piece of theater. you're more likely to read Death of a Salesman in a theater class than you are to read Steel Magnolias. There are probably theater classes where people are reading Steel Magnolias, not to discredit anything from the play. It's great, and we'll talk about that. But I think in a theater class, statistically, you're more likely to read Death of a Salesman or a play like that, The Glass Menagerie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Having said that, I think it may be true that more people have seen a production of steel magnolias than of something like Death of a Salesman. steel magnolias is a bastion of community theater stages of regional professional houses because people come in and pay for money pay tickets to get to see the show so it's it's a it's sort of a money-making play because of how popular it is so it's done at community theaters it's done at regional professional houses it's had broadway and west end life and it's it's huge on college theater stages i mean this play is everywhere
1: yeah, it's 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 everywhere and it also like covers so many like of the not right like genres, but like modes that you want to go to theater for. You get to laugh, you get to cry, there's such witty, quick dialogue, there's also deep moments of sadness, there's uh incredible costumes, uh uh kind of unity of space all in one uh location through the whole place. So it just like it, it's 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 it, yeah, it, it continues to be this piece that people want to be involved in and also want to see. Two things that are that are hard to do. I don't know about you, but after the first time I saw Death of a salesman, I'm 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 gonna be okay until I direct it or act in it. <laughs> it's, it's a great play, but I would go and see *Steel Magnolias* over and over again just because every time the cast is played, it's gonna be so different, and the sort of interaction between these characters is gonna be so different. So excited yeah, I, to have the conversation. Yeah, I
0: think too, like I. For a lot of plays that are really popular, there is a kind of a snobbishness about them from some of like the kind of academic theater community, the professional theater community, blah, 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 blah. Here's what I got to say. Steel Magnolias is good. Like for a play that's this popular and that is everywhere, like it is not lacking for like seriously good writing. And uh, Robert Harling didn't have a huge playwriting career. We'll talk about this in the context section. He's done a little more screenwriting. But honestly, he's more of like a producer. And I guess he was an actor for a while before he wrote this. But it's not like he went on to be like a five-time Pulitzer Prize winner or anything like that. But, like, the writing chops in this play are serious. This play is good. It's heartwarming. It makes you, like you said, it's, you know, you're laughing your head off. You're crying at the right moments. I mean, it's good.
1: Yeah, really good, and really surprising at times too. The ways that the that that uh, the characters and and the writing manages to hold both the comedy and the sadness together. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, yes, super good, super good.
0: So we got that to talk about. We got a few housekeeping things to do before we do that, including a very exciting announcement. We've been teasing it for a while, but it's finally time to point you to next week when we are releasing our very excited uh, special episode, I guess is what we're calling it. This is sort of a, a one-time, no-script event. We uh, <laughs> are, are, well, Jackson, you tell them. We're very yeah. excited about this. I think it'll be a fun episode.
1: Yeah, it'll be a fun kind of departure for us because as uh, longtime listeners of the show know, perhaps Jacob and I are not regionally near to each other. We record this uh, across great distances and time zones and often forget the time zone that we are trying to hit. Um, And uh, uh, after, I think, after 10 seasons, now in the 11th season, we were finally like, hey, we have a vacation planned around the same time. What if we recorded an episode during it? So um, there's some delightful adventures That wound up happening around trying to record (laughs) the episode. We were going to try to record it like in a national park and just didn't quite time that out right. And then we wound up recording it in an urban park. And it was was, was super fun. But... um... <laughs> but I'm really excited to get to share it with you. Uh, it's it's us chatting together in the same couple feet of each other around uh, a play. Uh, and and the play that we're talking about, too, is is kind of the one that Jacob started teasing a little earlier on in this episode.
0: Yeah, I mean, national tour, international phenomena right now. We decided, hey, if we're going to do this and, and spend time in our vacation, which we were on vacation together anyway for the first time in a couple of years, and we said, if we're going to take time out of that, it better be for a script that is worth it. <laughs> and so yep. we decided to talk about Town, the, uh, the the crazy phenomenon musical. It, it was a delight to have that conversation. It's been months now. So, I mean, we, we recorded it over the summer on vacation, like Jackson said, but we're finally ready to release it. We're really excited about this kind of one-off adventure into not only live recording, but like we were camping all vacation. Yeah. So like Jackson said, it's like, it's an outdoor recording and yeah. it's like it was getting dark and we were like we gotta wrap this up and there were people around it's all it's all very fun it's a cool episode that is finally 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 after weeks of teasing releasing next week
1: yeah so get excited for that we're excited to get to share it with you maybe start listening to some of your Hades town again it was definitely def- the defining feature of my road trip out west um and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah yeah we're excited to have the chance to share it with you next week
0: Yes, and so that that's coming up next week. And then in uh, just a few weeks after that is our themed month. We'll be ready to announce that soon. Get excited because this is going to be a pretty rad themed month, I think. So just keep your eye on the NoScript channels, and we will be releasing the theme for the themed month already. But if you're, we will be releasing it soon, but if you're a patron, you know it already. You yes, and You learned our themed month.
1: Yes, you guys are in the know. Thank you all so much for being patrons of the show. If you're looking for a way to help out the show um, or just uh, kind of selfishly would like to know what we're doing for things sooner than other people do, that's fine. Um, Patreon's the way to do that. <laughs> um, uh, we have a, a, a long history of, of doing the show and we often uh, say that we love to get to do it. We love h- having the chance to just to just kind of meet and talk about plays and extend the conversation out to all of you out there in podcast. Podcast land and the patrons at patreon.com slash no script podcast make that happen. We have a number of different tiers over there, a number of different tiers of uh, patronship and membership. Um, uh, you get different things at different levels, but that first level gets you access right away. That $1 amount gets you access to things like the scripts and patron only posts and all sorts of fun things over there. Um, so definitely go ahead and check it out if you are uh, kind of tuning into the show for the first time or and just looking for a way to continue to kind of find out what we're doing around here. Or if you're a longtime listener and are looking for a way to get involved a little bit more heavily in the no script Community, Head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. We'll see you over there. Thank you to our patrons, especially for all you do to help out the show. And now back to the script. Here we go.
0: All right. Like I forewarned, <laughs> uh, what's about to come is a fairly extensive context because this play has a fairly extensive life. And uh, yeah. even in my crazy excitement and rambling about the life of this play, I will not cover of the life of this play. I may not get to 5% of the life of this play because of how popular it is, how many times it's been staged. It's everywhere. Probably no matter where you are, within at least a couple of hours of you, there's been a production in the past like five years. No kidding. Like that's probably the case. Just look around. You're probably going to have a chance to see Steel Magnolias at some point because it continues to be staged very heavily. Robert Harling is a new playwright to the podcast, so I will do just a little bit of context around him. I do want to say, though, that this is not going to be like a huge context about Robert Harling, because to be honest with you, he's not really like an extensive playwright. This was sort of the play that he wrote and that has been so successful that it shaped his whole career and has turned him into a very, very, very rich man, and it... It, that, that's just sort of what his career has been. He he was born in Alabama and he uh, ended up going to Tulane, which is a university in New Orleans, for those that don't know, in Louisiana, uh, to study law actually, and that's where he got his law degree, um, and had sort of planned to be a lawyer. There's some great quotes in different interviews about how it's uh, you know he learned to be he learned his sort of dry wit while studying law because there's like nothing funny about like case law. And that's where this sort of humor of the play comes out of. But after he got his law degree, he decided not to take the bar. Instead, he moved to New York City to try to be an actor. Um, and he did the thing that many, 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 many actors in New York City do, which is he sold tickets to Broadway shows during the daytime and acted at night and auditioned and all that stuff to try to make a career for himself. Um and now comes the part that's a little bit context for the play as well, because it, it's also a sort of a, a sad story, which is that in Robert Harling's life, the events of this play happened first, which is a very convoluted way to say that the events of the play are based on events from Robert Harling's life. Very sad events. His sister um, had diabetes, uh, just like uh, one of the characters in the play that Jackson will talk about. And the story, as much as I can get a, a handle on it, is that his sister brought birth to son and uh, which of course would have been Robert Harling's nephew and that uh, because of the, the hardship on her body due to the diabetes of having a child, she needed a kidney transplant. One of her family members stepped up and offered her a kidney but unfortunately due to complications from that transplant surgery she ended up dying and that of course is very roadmap kind of how the play goes and this event was such a major thing for Robert Harley in his life, of course, that it, it kind of shaped his career from this point on because one of his friends said, hey, in order to process this, you really need to write about it. You got you to gotta work out this thing that happened in your family. And so uh, the story goes, again, this is as much as I can get a handle on it, that he, he first wrote a short story with the idea that it was going to be sort of an explanation for his nephew about why his mother was no longer around. Uh, at the end of Steel Magnolia, as I'm stealing a little bit from later, there is a, a great, tragic, sad moment where the mother of the woman who died says, who's going to tell her kid? why the mom's not here who's gonna tell this poor kid when they're old enough to understand and so my my guess is that that uh feeling came sort of deliberately and very specifically out of robert harlings trying to figure that out for himself and writing the short story and from that short story came a play steel Magnolias, the play which opened off broadway In 1987, at the WPA Theater, um, and then sort of transferred almost immediately that same year to the Lucille Lortel Theater, which is a little more longer-term house. It ran there for three years. Wow. um, (laughs) Off-Broadway, which for an off-Broadway run, three years is insane. And then uh, this weird kind of offshoot of the story is that in 1988, uh, over in Sydney, Australia, the play also uh, premiered. And the famous Nicole Kidman made her stage debut in this show in Sydney, Australia. Isn't that wild? Just a crazy story. Um, so, uh, after the run, or, or right as the run at the Lucille Lortel Theater was ending, there was a national tour of the play launched. National tours of a play are very, very, very rare. They were a little more common back then, not very common at all now, uh, but still very uncommon for a play to think that it can generate the kind of national buzz and, you know, frankly, income to to justify a national tour. But it did. It went on a national tour. And then it went international. In 1989, it uh, premiered at the West End in the Lyric Theater. Um, and then in 1990, a different West End theater said, well, we can't let it go too long without having to steal Magnolias. And so just a year later, they put up their own version, the Westminster Theater. Um, and then international even more. In 1992, a Polish language adaption premiered in Poland. Um, there, are Many, many more productions start to appear all over the country. Regional houses. Um, 2005, Finally, it makes its Broadway debut at the Lyceum Theater. Um, and then it continues on in, in grand international life. In 2007, a Japanese-translated version premieres in Tokyo. In 2008, a Swedish-translated version appears in Sweden. In 2012, there's a UK tour. Later in 2012, there's a different Irish tour. 2014, a French-language adaption premiered. And um, interestingly, for the Final showing of that French language adaption, which played for three years in France and went on tour. Huge success in France. Uh, Robert Harley apparently went to the closing production of that play in France. That was filmed. It, it continues on. I mean, th- I'm just, like, hitting some things. In 2018, uh, the Play- Playhouse on the Park in Connecticut. In 2019, at the Guthrie. So d- here's just a little snapshot of its recent life, starting with 2019. So I'm not saying every production that I found, by the way. I'm just saying a few from each year. 2019, it's at the Guthrie. 2019, it's at the Hub Theater Company in Boston. 2019, it's at the Actors Co-op Theater in L.A. Then, of course, we skipped those two years that we don't talk about where nobody was doing any theater. In 2022, it's at the <laughs> North Carolina Theater, the Hopewell Theater in Youngstown, the Drury Lane Theater in Chicago. This year, in 2023, it just began another U.K. tour uh, and played in places like the Lyric Theater, the Theater Royal Brighton, the Theater Royal Bath, all over in the U.K. Theater Works produced it, which is theater out of San Francisco. At the Mountain View Center for the Performing Arts in a very well lauded production. The City Theater did it in Austin. So I just gave you three productions a year for the three years that we've been ma- the three most recent years that anyone was making theater, and that was not even the tip of the iceberg of what I could find. Um, the community theater life, the college theater life, the semi-professional life, it it is all over. It is everywhere. It is being produced again and again and again. And that is just on stage. Yeah. <laughs> so after Robert Harling writes this play that becomes this international phenomenon – uh, he goes on to write the screenplay for the 1989 movie, which is uh, a movie that probably many of you have seen and loved. It uh, beca- It's a huge, huge uh, film hit. It had Sally Fields and Dolly Parton and Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts actually went on to win a Golden Globe for her performance in that movie weirdly sam shepard was also in that movie and like kind of a bit part and robert harling himself appeared in a kind of bit part in the movie uh and then there was a like a failed tv show kind of run where they tried to make like a a sitcom based on the premise of this hair shop in Louisiana. Uh, but then in 2012, uh, there was a movie adaption with an all-black cast of Steel Magnolias. Queen Latifah was sort of the headline star. And this was uh, this. It was a lifetime movie, but I gotta say that there were some pretty serious chops behind it, Queen Latifah, of course, included. But also, the thing was directed by Kenny Leon, who is a big-time theater director. I mean, he worked... With uh, August Wilson on like staging almost all of his plays on Broadway, he continues to be one of the major theater directors in America. And so he headed up this film for this 2012 Lifetime Movie production. So uh, for Robert Harling, after that screenwriting success, he was a playwriting success that, and then a screenwriting success because the movie was so. Uh, popular and successful. He goes on to mostly work in film, kind of from that point forward, a lot of it as a producer. He has some screenwriting credits, some things that you might recognize from his career. um, The Evening Star, The First Wives Club, Soap Dish, all of those were fairly popular pieces of TV or film that he was involved in in one capacity or another, but still remains... Perhaps one of the great one-hit wonders of the playwriting world, I I mean, to to have produced a play like Steel Magnolias and then to not really produce anything else for the stage at that level at least— uh, is I mean it. It is truly a one-hit wonder story, and he he hit big. Boy, he like owns a plantation in Louisiana now. Like he has become a very wealthy man <laughs> sure, from sure. the success of Steel Magnolias.
1: <laughs> Worked out okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm just gonna give us a, gonna give us a brief bit of a synopsis to kind of start us off on the same page. Even though, as Jacob has just described, you've likely seen interacted with Red watched this play before, maybe even been in it. So um, I'm excited to kind of jump into the conversation around it. The uh, way I'm going to kind of bring us into this play is through the characters themselves. Um, and then we'll just kind of move swiftly through the uh, synopsis, the big beats of this play. So you have uh, Truvy Jones, who is in her 40s. She's the owner of uh, her own uh, a beauty shop. Truvy Jones's beauty shop, I think is the, or Truvy's beauty shop is what it's described as. Um, and it's kind of this like centerpiece part of town, this gathering space for uh, particularly these six women to come into uh, and, and have their hair done and kind of touch base and get set for the day and on they go. Um, but Truvy is at the start of the play hiring Anel, who is starting as the new assistant there. Um, Anel is kind of new to town, new to this group of, uh, of friends and, uh, is just like, just as of that day, starting in the shop. So Anel is kind of the stranger that has come to town um, and. Uh, and is kind of meeting all these people for the first time. Claire, a uh, uh, Clarie, excuse me, Clarie Belcher, um, is in her sixties, uh, widow of the former mayor. Uh, she's described as the grand dame of the town. She's kind of the, uh, the st- still carrying the kind of wife of the mayor sort of energy, even though um, uh, the, the mayor has died, alas. Um, and so she's still going to things like frequently. She says, "I'm going to the show tonight. I'm going to this theater. I'm supporting the arts in the town, etc." She's still uh, very connected to the town and the goings on. Um and then you have uh, Shelby Eaton um, and her mother Malin Malin Eaton um, Shelby is uh uh yep Malin's daughter uh the, the the much of the kind of narrative of the play flows around her the first day of the play is on her wedding day um and so she and Malin come into the shop for the first time to uh kind of start getting her hair done in preparation for her wedding day the last character um is uh Weezer um Weezer Bordeaux um, she is the curmudgeon of the town um someone who uh, comes in uh, uh her description is a serbic but lovable, um, and, uh, kind of, uh, comes in and kind of, acu- uh, frequently, uh, um, is cantankerous to other people, even though she, uh, is clear, is clear that she loves all the people in the room and they all love her back. So those are the kind of main characters of this play. The play starts again with, um, tra- uh, Truvy and Anel, uh, having this kind of like pre-work of the day moment where Truvi is kind of interviewing Anel, um, and she jumps onto the staff. She, uh, Starts to help Truvy as the guests begin to come in. Uh, Truvy lets her know that this is a very special day because it's Shelby's uh, wedding day. And so there's going to be a particular group of people coming in to get ready for this wedding. And one by one, we begin to meet them. Clary comes in, eventually Shelby comes in, Malin comes in, Um, and they're all kind of going about the conversation of the day they're all touching base for the first time in a little while all the while there's like there's this very like everyone knows each other sort of neighborhood stuff going on um you you hear these kind of repeated gunshots happening from off stage prior to Malin's entrance into the stage and over and over they're like oh that's just that's just drum he's trying to get these birds out of this tree um so that eventually Shelby says it's a magnolia tree and um we have all of these birds in it we're trying to host the reception there Night. we're trying to have people not get like bird poop all over them so he's trying to clear out this tree with uh with a gun basically <laughs> um, eventually Malin comes in and it's discovered that she has stolen the gun from uh from drum and so this the shooting stops for a little while um but then during the course of this kind of uh, getting getting their hair done Shelby has this kind of uh, uh, a diabetic um not quite a coma or something like that, but she just, uh, her insulin is too high and she begins to kind of faint away. Um, And that's a kind of introduction to Shelby's kind of medical condition. Um, Malin kind of moves quickly into action, gets her some orange juice and reveals to the rest of the women in the parlor that it's been a really rough month because um, Shelby has uh, had to go through some doctor's appointments and things. And and she discovered that the doctors are recommending that she not... Ever get pregnant? That she not have a child. Um, that it would do too much damage to her system to have a child. As Shelby kind of comes to out of out of uh, that that uh, that moment, she uh, talks about her and her fiance's uh, conversation around that. That they're just going to adopt. It'll just be fine. It was actually that they the, the, will adopt ten kids. People people adopt kids all the time. It'll be it'll be okay. Um, and so uh, the kind of the, the rest of the kind of conversation moves along. Eventually, uh, Weezer comes in um, and is angry at uh, Mullin's husband, Drum, because Drum has picked all of the magnolias off of the tree for the reception. And so uh, Weezer thinks that the tree is shared, not shared, that she owns the tree. It's kind of like on their property line. And so she uh, thinks that that uh, basically they stole all the magnolias from her. The end of the uh, act kind of uh, that or not the act that scene kind of builds to, uh, again, apparently there's there's more efforts being done to kind of shoot the birds out of the tree with some sort of dynamite tied to a toy bow and arrow. And so like a big explosion happens. Everyone kind of runs to the door. Weezer kind of sicks her dog <laughs> on on uh, the, the goings-on over there. And that's kind of the wrap-up of scene one. Scene two is... Oh, it's in December. So I, I'll, I'll give you the first uh, date of the play. We're in April at the start of the play. The play takes place over the course of about two and a half years. So uh, we, we fast forward now to December and uh, everyone is is kind of uh, coming home for Christmas or kind of interacting around the Christmas time. The shop is decorated for Christmas, etc. Um, And uh, Shelby returns home and uh, is, uh, kind of, uh, talking about the surprise that she's going to tell, uh, her mom Malin. Um, and so she's, she's in the shop, she's, uh, kind of talking to folks, etc. Um, uh, Annabelle is kind of, or, or I'm sorry, not Annabelle, NL has kind of, uh, gone through, uh, kind of a significant moment as well. She kind of starts the play having revealed that, uh, she was in, uh, a relationship for a very short amount of time, and as soon as they moved here, the guy just picked up and left, left stole all of her stuff, and, and ran out. Um, turns out that he was some sort of criminal, and so he was eventually arrested, um, and in this second scene, that's kind of been six months later, Anel has moved out of the kind of uh, temporary home that she was living and in, into the apartment that Truvi has uh, offered her to live in, in, in the beauty salon itself. So, um. Uh. Shelby shows up. She's uh kind of uh there to meet her mom, Malin, and uh she reveals to Malin that she is in fact pregnant and that she and her husband are going to have a baby soon. This kind of sets off uh both uh both the the kind of intense worry of Malin, who knows what this means. Uh, was there for the doctor's appointments as well and knows that this is a big risk that she's going through to try to have this child. But Shelby discusses uh the difficulty that they've had in trying to adopt. Um, that there's uh, the 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 way that they were trying to adopt. Uh, they she discovered that they wouldn't allow, or likely wouldn't allow them to have a child, given her health concerns. And so they made the decision to try to have a child themselves. Um, as soon as the rest of the group eventually kind of drags this information out of them, there's this, some celebration as well as some worry, and you kind of end this scene with this sort of like hopefulness. Um, uh, but definitely worriedness about what is going to happen as a result of this decision. Um, the other, the other kind of piece of the scene is, uh, is kind of, uh, moving into a bit more of a religious stream. She's attending this church pretty regularly. Um, and kind of, kind of after she, she admits that like the last six months have been really rough that she kind of like, uh, especially with all the stuff around her criminal ex-husband, um, she kind of uh, lost her way for a little while, but Truvi has helped her out and now she's attending a church and she's able to kind of, uh. Uh, get her feet under her in this in this uh, particular time. Then we move forward 18 months. that's a year and a half. Um, uh, 18 months into the future. Shelby is there. Um, she has had her child um, and uh, she is in the shop today getting her hair cut quite short. Um, uh, kind of the first moment of the, of this scene is, uh, Truvy, uh, cutting her hair quite short and kind of finishing up. She'll be kind of going through the grief of losing, uh, her hair, but she kind of says, it's just so much to keep up with. This kid's running around all the time. Um, uh, this will be so much easier for me to take care of rather than the, the kind of, uh, ritual that I have to keep to keep all, all my hair in, in shape while I'm, while I'm doing this as well. One by one, the different characters come in and all assure her that her hair looks great. There's this kind of moment of, uh, surprise when Malin comes in because uh she she has this moment of surprise and she, she right away says it's it looks really great it's 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 all gonna be fine but we discover through the course of the scene that um there's probably some connection also to some other complication in their life and that um, Shelby's kidneys are failing her um, she's been on dialysis for a, a while um, and uh, they've been she's been on a list of, of for a kidney transplant for a very long time or at least uh, a, a amount of time. And they've just recently went through the test to discover that Malin is able to give her a kidney transplant. Um, uh, so so they're like the day before, basically, is the news of that day um, that she is kind of um, going to go into procedure to that that next those next days. And um, they're all hopeful, hopeful that the procedure goes according to plan. Um, also, uh, uh, again, and the the two that are kind of on a journey in this play are Shelby and Anel. The other ones kind of float through with all these fun little things that are happening to them. Like uh, Clarie is going on trips. Uh, in the last scene that I'm about to talk about, she's she's goes off goes to Paris. Um, uh, Weezer always has someone that she's kind of angry about or cantankerous with. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, the the rest of the crew is kind of this like you know sort of the salon keeper. She constantly is is kind of uh, bringing out, bringing out what's going on with other people, but also admitting that she has some struggles with her husband as well, that he's been kind of this like couch vegetable for, for a while, like basically sits home and watches TV whenever he comes home from work. Um, and so she has a lot of her energy pushed into the shop and these people who she loves. The last scene of the play takes place in November. So another four or five months have gone by. Um, and, uh, we discover quite quickly in the early parts of the play uh, of this of this scene that Shelby has passed away. That, uh, and we find out um, through, eventually Malin comes in, that they're playing a radio that Shelby has given to Truvy and the radio is like playing all of, of uh, Shelby's favorite songs that day. Um, and uh, Malin comes in and kind of tells the story of how the the transplant failed, that she went back on dialysis. They were trying to find some other way to help her, but it just didn't work. And eventually, they had to stop the machines. And she kind of tells them all of how she stayed with her, how awful it is to lose a child. She was planning to be the one to go first, all of that. And then, in just like uh, one of the 180 comedy moments of the of the play, we have a Clarie. Uh, well, well. First of all, um, uh, Malin just like really, really narrows in on. She feels anger. She doesn't understand why Shelby is gone. Doesn't understand what it is. She just wants to hit something. And Clarice shoves Weezer in front of her and is like, "Here, hit Weezer. You should hit <laughs> Weezer." <laughs> um, and and uh, another moment of the camaraderie of these uh, of these women all comes to light as they try to manage the grief of this moment with this. <laughs> <laughs> odd bit of, uh, laughter towards them. Again, uh, Anel is, uh, kind of going through, um, some more, um, Annel is pregnant at the at the start of this this uh, this scene. She and her boyfriend um, have uh, kind of met through church and are are expecting a child. And she asks permission to name the child, no matter uh, which which way it comes out, um, to name the child Shelby. Um, so uh, there's this uh, touching moment for for them as well as Malin kind of goes out um, from the space and uh, the rest of the characters all kind of hold the memory of Shelby in the final scene uh, as the her, one of her favorite songs plays on the radio. That's kind of the big beats of the story. I kind of, like, narrowed in on the sort of dramatic uh, um, uh, narrative that flows through. There's also just, like another like 80, 60 to 80% of just like daytime, like what you would talk about any old day, like walking in, ribbing each other, kind of making fun of each other, talking about their roles in the town and things like that. So this 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 play is full of that as well, but that's kind of the the narrative arc that drives us through the play.
0: Yeah, it it, it is this kind of strange, beautiful mixture of... Real hardships that people are facing in their lives and this incredible um, skill of joke writing that Robert Harling brings to these characters, they are just hilarious. The yeah. way that they talk to each other, the punchlines that they land on each other um, are, are just so sharp. And I, I think it is all buoyed by, at the beginning of the script, an author's note, which, I you know, you always hope this sort of thing is just best practice when you're doing a show that, that you, know, you know, playwrights don't have to write this note, but you see playwrights do it so frequently that you can just imagine how often playwrights see productions of their plays, which don't do this. Yeah, um, And that author's note is that uh, Robert Harling says the women in this play are witty, intelligent and above all real characters. They in no way, shape or form are meant to be portrayed as cartoons or caricatures. So although the things that they say are outrageously funny, um, and at times, even reading it alone, you're like laughing to yourself. Which yeah. <laughs> just I mean, That doesn't happen reading alone, typically. Laughter is generally a social experience. So that just tells you how funny it is. Despite that, it's even better in performance because what you get are these real sort of empathetic portrayals of humans that just happen to say funny things. I mean, it's not like I mean, just to pick on a play, Arsenic and Old Lace, which is, you know, set up as a comedy, but it's filled with characters that are just totally unbelievable to me. Really
1: campy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. (laughs) And this is
0: like the opposite of that. Real humans that somehow managed to say the funniest things you've ever heard in your life.
1: Yeah. Like super, super cutting wit often. Um, uh, and also just like, yeah, just super honest comedy as well. There's a scene kind of early on where um, they're sharing recipes um, and uh, and uh, Clarie is sharing this recipe with Truvi and it's like, you know, a cup of flour, a cup of sugar and then a cup of fruit co- cocktail with the juice. Um, and Truby's like, that sounds, that sounds awfully rich. And Clary's like, yeah, well, I put it over ice cream to kind of cut the sweetness. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it's just full of that sort of like, you know, day to day sort of things, um, that, that, that have these like intensely comedic elements to them. Um, but the characters are just kind of rolling through the conversation with it. And it's, and it just like hits you out of nowhere all, all the time
0: and and the the stuff that the characters are going through is real life stuff too you know i mean obviously the the way that robert harling has written the experience of diabetes for his characters is is very specific and very rooted in real experience i mean the things that happen to shelby are not uh, a stereotype or trope of the experience it comes from the the real lived experience of watching your your loved one go through these incredibly hard things and because it's grounded in like it it maybe here's my thought it is so interesting to see a big comedy like this that is rooted in real life tragedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that not strange?
1: Yeah. Out of
0: the real life, terrible pain of losing your sister in this way after the birth of her son, after, uh, you know, the, a family member stepped up to donate a kidney. I mean, after all of that tragedy and heartache. This is the play that comes out of it. It's hilarious.
1: It is. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And I think I think part of it is um I think it's Shelby who actually says this line. It's fairly early on in the play. Um, but tracking um she doesn't say this. This is this is Jackson. Um, but tracking the kindness of these people and how that leads them to this laughter is kind of the uh, the the way i th- i think the way that we're like u- using uh, not using uh um focusing on the story of tragedy um but through the lens of the kindness of these people um because early on in the scene again the, the stranger that comes to town is Anel, um and she like as soon as they find out the situation that she's in all of these women rally around her and are like, "Oh, I got a place for you. Oh, I got a way for you to do this. Oh, you should come to come to my wedding tonight. There'll be this cake there. You should just come and just be be with us tonight. I'll give you a dress to wear. It's all it's all good." Um, and right away they rally around. Um, and Shelby has this line that says. We like we like to find ways to be kind to each other here. Um, um, and and I think that I, sort I've of got
0: that line written, too. So it, it's it's actually Truvy and it's it's such a oh, great yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it's both sweet and a punchline because she says we enjoy being nice to each other. There's not much else to do in this town. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, yes. And so, so yeah, I think that's that's also fully on display as they're kind of navigating all these, because they all do have their own, like, really hard moments that they're all going through. And while, while my synopsis may have focused on the kind of, like, main flagship hard moment that the play is focused on, they're all dealing with grief in some way. Clary has lost her husband. Weezer has, uh, really is unhappy with how her family all turned out. And, and you have, so there's this there's this real pain that they're all carrying, but they come to this place To be nice and witty and tease each other um, and, and find a way to grapple with that pain.
0: I will say of all the jokes, and this is the one. This there's one in there that feels especially like it's from Robert Harling's experience trying to be an actor in New York City. Uh, Clarice says, "I've heard it all." She's talking about how she's going to go to see this play, and everybody's sort of teasing her for it. And she says, "I have heard it all. Well, I'm going to the theater. I'm going to support the arts in our area." And Weezer says, "I'll write a check. I will support art. I just don't want to see it." <laughs>
1: there has so many of those phenomenal lines. Also, I'm not crazy. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years is one of oh, her lines. Yes. Just so many of these, these phenomenal lines. I mean, interestingly, like... Her journey with uh with Anel is one of the one of the other like really surprising journeys of the play. Because as Anel gets more and more religious, um uh Weezer kind of critiques her more and more. Um uh but then by the end of the play, there's this like really, really uh kind of yeah, just really Touching connection, connection between them uh, around the faith that the other ones has. That neither of them brings each other around necessarily. I think Weeza uh, is kind of more episcopal, less uh, less um, uh, charismatic, and Annelle has found this like charismatic kind of Baptist church that she's going to. Which um, I mean,
0: again, uh, Robert Harling is Presbyterian, and the Presbyterians are somewhere in the world between, maybe more on the episcopal side, but slightly in the culture between the sort of uh, Charismatic and the sort of Episcopal, to be very, very, very general, sort right, of right, Christian right. circle. <laughs> and even like their discussions about faith and like how it is exercised feel very rooted in reality, feel totally distant from trope, and feel like people who i mean, as christian people who who have these different cultural perspectives on their christian faith like it feels like that is the kind of conversations you probably have if you're fond of somebody who is from a different christian culture than you and 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 it it feels rooted and true to me and there's also i think some delightful kind of very human uh uh gestures to the gaps in the experience of faith in faith communities. After we have learned that Shelby has passed away and Malin has sort of you know, Ben had her her moment of just real sadness and grief and crying and caused everybody to cry. And in the hair shop, Anel says, well, you know, she went to be with her maker. She doesn't have any pain now. It's a beautiful thing. She says, we should be rejoicing. And Malin says, you go ahead. I wish I could feel that way. I guess I'm a little selfish. I'd rather have her here. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's just a lovely written line that points at a real human experience, even of people who have faith to still experience grief, n- even believing that your your lo- your lost loved one lives on in an eternal paradise or whatever. There's still I I'd rather have them here with me. It's just I think over and over again in the middle of the jokes, which are constant and uproarious, you find these just like delightful human touches just like little paint strokes that pull you back in to these not as cartoon characters as robert harling says but as like real people in the middle of real things
1: yeah real trying to figure out ways to navigate really really difficult painful situations um and, and and also all the time working on like the like lest lest we forget this is set in a in a beauty salon um so the the whole time that all of this this is happening both the comedy and the tragedy there's there's this like like, busy work that is happening as well, this, like, uh, constant, um, uh, kind of, uh, um, uh, pinning up of hair, doing, doing, uh, doing all the, the, there's a big day when everyone, or not everyone, but a chunk of them all get manicures, and Truvy gets really excited about it, um, and so, so you have this, this, uh, also this, like, really intentional, um, uh, blocking and movement that's happening through all of these moments of pain and tragedy and, and hilarity that I think makes this is another reason why this play is so fun to do. (laughs) Um, just because like, it's, I imagine at least, uh, having not been in it myself, obviously. Um, but I imagine it's a really fun, uh, 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 experience just to be on stage during it because there's this kind of always energy that that is that is going on and things to do people trading seats and coming up for their turn in the chair sort of stuff so it's got all that sort of like interesting energy just physical energy as well uh, in it no,
0: I, it definitely does, and and I also think that there are real like writing chops demonstrated throughout. Again, I, I said that in the context, and it's why I'm surprised that there weren't more plays produced. There's a great moment in it's. This is between the final two scenes. So in the second to last scene, right, Robert Harding sets up the stakes of the surgery that's to come. It's a fairly dangerous surgery. Somebody's going to give a kidney. It's this sort of big deal, but it's also like, is Shelby's body going to accept the kidney? What's going to happen? And after that, they're both going into surgery. Everybody says, oh, we're going to come stay with your family. We're going to come take care of you. The, but the stakes are set that this is what's going to happen. And then at the top of the next scene, the last scene of the play, you learn from the other people in the beauty shop. And I'm, I'm not missing the language that they say exactly, but it, you, you learn very clearly that someone has not survived something. Now, all you have, right, is this information about the surgery that they were going into. And all that is said at the beginning of that last scene are pronouns. She and her. We lost Mm -hmm. her. Things like that. But so you know, okay, either Malin or Shelby has died and we don't know who is there. And we're we're sort of in a a state of I know something's happened, but I don't know who to. And then Malin walks through the door. And it's just – a it's so – such clever setup for us to feel the pain of that loss without anyone having said anything. Just yeah. by her entering the door, we know what happened and the loss that has been endured.
1: That's so interesting because like – Just because this play has the history that it does, and because I know it so well, reading it this time, that didn't even occur to me. So that's such a cool insight. Because like we all we all know that Shelby is the one who dies. Maybe maybe we don't. But like but yeah, no, absolutely. That like that like mystery at, at in that in that first part of the play of, you know, you you get to you get to kind of. Retroactively be involved on the day when they heard the news for the first time, as they were all holding the the scariness of that moment together, um, and and of course the eventual ver- terrible news, um, uh, and you and yeah, that that moment is this kind of like oof, where all of the air goes out of of what you were hoping to have happen, and certainly what the rest of the characters were hoping to have happen as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if you look for it, they exist throughout these moments of just strong writing after Shelby reveals that she is pregnant and doesn't get the anticipated reaction from her mother. Later on, all the women come back in and they've they've the mother and daughter have agreed not to share the information with the rest of the beauty shop yet. But they're still kind of in the midst of this argument and it's a delightful setup for ways to have their argument without being able to say what they're discussing. So they go into this sort of extended conversation about fire batons, about how Shelby used to want to do fire batons. And Malin would always say, you can't play with fire. It's dangerous. <laughs> it's gonna. You're going to get yourself hurt. This is a silly thing to do. And Shelby say, well, I wanted to do it. I could take care of myself. I was an adult. I could make my own decisions. And you can see that they're having this conversation about fire batons that's not really about fire Batons, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something else is is being talked about via <laughs> via the talent of, of whatever pageant it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so many there's so many moments, so many more moments that I feel like we could talk about. Uh, somehow we've we've run to the end of our time already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just like it disappeared from us. This play is just chalk full of, uh, really impactful moments, such strong characters, such great dialogue, such a great, um, uh, such great monologues as well. Boy, uh, uh, Malin's monologues are just so impactful. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, Wish we had more time to continue chatting about it. Um, Fortunately, we don't have to just straight stop talking about it. We love having the chance to extend the conversation out to all of you who have just tuned in. Um, Whether you have read this play, been in this play, seen the play or the movie, and are looking for kind of a crew to talk with who have also done so, we love making this space a space that people can chat about plays in. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com i don't know that i can say that we have a twitter anymore we have an x now i guess whatever i don't um, know. I, that
0: <laughs> whole thing is
1: let's not get into it <laughs> let's not get into it we're, we're on the social medias find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about steel magnolias with you
0: Absolutely. If you enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, please recommend us to your family, your friends. Anybody you know that likes scripts, that likes theater, stories, conversations about writing, I think they'll like these ones too. Send them our way. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, all the places where you can find your podcasts. You could also like us on Facebook and a link to the new episode will appear every Monday, including next Monday, when our special camping episode makes its premiere. Uh, re-remind yourself how great the soundtrack of Hadestown is so that you are ready for our li- it's not live, but it was live back then <laughs> conversation in the sense of not being recorded and us being live in person. It was very fun. We're excited to release it to you. Come back to us next week for that episode. Yes, and until then I'm Jackson. I'm Jacob. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.